Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us what are the similarities and differences between God's repentance and man's repentance. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for gathering us together this morning around yourself that we might hear your word. And having heard it, Lord, that we might experience, Lord, that life that you spoke about. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Thank you, Lord, for this great promise as we open your word to study with eager hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters of men were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also has flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. God saw that the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth." Now, when we study here in Genesis 6, we see statements that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. They're just amazing statements. In verse 7, God says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things and the fowls of the air. It repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 13, God said, the end of all flesh is come before me. He says there, I will destroy them with the earth. No other time has God destroyed all the wildlife and every person on the earth except for the eight men who survived. No other places in the Bible do you see God saying that he will destroy man from the face of the earth and that the end of all flesh has come before him. And he emphasizes The drastic part of this, when he says, I will destroy man whom I have created. That's how much the emphasis is there. This is not just man, but this is man who God has created, who we put his heart into when he created him. So the question before us is, what happened to cause God to destroy man who he created? This verse says, All flesh, in verse 12 it says, all flesh had corrupted his way. But what did man do to corrupt his way so bad that God said, it's not repairable, it's irreparable. God was so frustrated and angry that he made this full destruction. So what did he do? 
What did man do to warrant this response from God where he says in verse 6 that he felt sorry that he had made man in the first place and it grieved him in his heart? What happened? How did man manage to make God so much wish that he hadn't made man in the first place? What happened? Well, what it says here is that there are four parts to what man did to bring God to this horrible conclusion that there's no hope. It's irreparable. First, in verse 5, it says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, that word great refers to quantity. The quantity. In other words, the meaning here is that there was like, wickedness was like a unanimous decision on the part of man. Everybody is in agreement with this. There was nobody on the earth except for Noah who was not going along with the crowd. There was no godly remnant. There was no small minority of people who said, no, we're going to go with God. So the first reason for the flood is that there was no remnant of godly persons on the earth. Second, in verse 5, we see the statement, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So turn, if you would, please, to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. It's really a message that God is giving to his prophet Ezekiel to tell to the Jewish people. And so God says, I really want the Jewish people to understand this. And so he says in Ezekiel 11, 5, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, that's the prophet Ezekiel, and said unto me, Speak. Speak what? Thus saith the Lord, Thus have you said, O house of Israel, And here's the message. I know the things that come into your mind. Every one of them. I know the things that come into your mind. Every one of them. That was the message that God wanted his people to understand. It was very important to God that they understood that every thought, every thought that came into their mind, he saw every single one. He knows every single one. That's very important. That's very important for us to understand as well, that God monitors and sees the thoughts that come into our mind. That's why we need to be in a crying out mode, all the time crying out, a state of mind we need to have where we're crying out to God when an evil thought comes into our mind. That's the time we cry out to God and we say, shield of faith. That's the best response for an evil thought. Shield of faith and visualize all those pieces of the armor which are laid out for us in Ephesians 6. But in Ephesians 6.16, it says, and above all, in other words, above all the pieces of the armor here, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. An evil thought comes into our mind. It's like a fiery dart. And so we grab the shield of faith. And we so often are plagued with these fiery darts. That's why it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Last week, the Palestinians fired this one rocket and then another rocket. And the Iron Dome shoots that one down. And the Iron Dome shoots this one down. And all of a sudden, we saw a salvo of six or eight or ten of them going off at the same time to overcome the Iron Dome. That's what the devil does with us. He sends those fiery darts, sometimes in salvos. So next time an evil thought comes, try that. 
just say to yourself, shield of faith. And then if we've entertained an evil thought, let it stay in there a while, then we need to quickly say, Lord, cry out to him, please forgive me, cleanse my heart. Forgive me, that's what we've done to God. Cleanse my heart, that's what sin has done to us. Now, this time, though, in Genesis chapter 6, there was no using the shield of faith. There was no resistance. And so this is the second reason why the flood came, because there were no godly thoughts in anyone's mind. They were only evil continually. So, third, from verses 11 and 12, we keep reading this word that comes up. Verse 11, earth was corrupt. Verse 12, God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. Verse 12 again, all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. That's the same Hebrew word. It's used three times in there. The corrupt, it means that. It means to decay or to spoil or to putrefy is what it means. So, the third reason for the flood was that there was no godly influence on the world. The world went its course of decay and corruption. That shows to us that the Lord Jesus Christ relies on us as his people to have a godly influence on the earth, a godly influence on the world, a decreasing of the putrefaction and the decay of the morality. Fourth, in verse 11, we see this word in verse 11 and verse 13, the earth was filled with violence twice, verse 11 and 13. That's the fourth reason why the flood came. Because there was this violence. And what is violence? Violence is an indication of a lack of restraint. Anger comes into the heart. No restraint. Just violence goes forward. So the fourth reason why the flood came was no godly restraint on the earth. So what happened to make the earth so irreparable, so awful, so terrible, that God said, there's no hope for it, it has to be destroyed, and I'm sorry I made man. What happened? Number one, no godly remnant. Number two, no godly thoughts in people's minds. Number three, no godly influence. And number four, no godly restraint. Now, those are the changes that happened to the earth that made it to this state. So what happened was a flood of sin Came and then God brought a flood of judgment as a result. And it all started with corrupted thoughts. And the corrupted thoughts then went on to make corrupted acts. The violence there. And the corrupted acts then went on to characterize people. So you have corrupted characters. And all this really is talking about a corruption of moral character. It's about morality. It's a corruption of moral character. That's what happened. That's why it's so important for us to teach young children to shape their minds when they're young and their thoughts so that they'll have the godly thoughts and they'll have the godly acts and they'll have the godly influence in the world and the restraint in the society in which they live. That's why it's so, so important. I'm so happy we have the school down in Takati. And God bless the Christian schools throughout the world where they have this wonderful effect of shaping godly thoughts. Now it says here that in verse 6 that it repented the Lord. It says it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. 
Now that's kind of an interesting statement. It repented the Lord because it reminds us, or maybe it doesn't remind you, but I want you to turn to it anyway. In Numbers 23, 19, there's a statement there that speaks about God and repenting. If you turn to that, please, in Numbers 23, 19, keep in mind that in Genesis 6, this, that we read, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Now, when you turn there to Numbers 23, 19, you're looking at that, Numbers 23, 19, you read this statement. It says here that God is not a man. Now, there's no period there. There's a rest of a sentence. And it says, God is not a man that he should lie. Then it goes on. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? This verse where it says here that God is not a man that he should not lie. And the son of man should repent. Now. How do you reconcile that verse? It says God's not going to repent in Numbers 23. How do you reconcile that with Genesis 6 where it said God did repent? It's interesting. Because if God said that he did repent, that he made man, then how do you get the interpretation of Numbers 23, 19? You know, that's very important. I'll tell you why. Because this verse is used to say that God could not become a man. God could not become a man because it says God is not a man. That's what it says. That's the argument from others. But this verse also says that God does not repent. And in Genesis 6 says that God did repent. So this is where it's important to read the whole verse in all of its context to see the meaning. Because it's saying that God is not a man, that he should lie. So, in other words, it's not saying that God is not a man, period. It's saying that God is not a man who lies. Because man who lies would have to repent of his lies. So, God does not repent for the sin of telling lies because he's not a man that lies. So, the verse has to be read in its entirety in order to understand it. So, it reads, God is not a man who lies and God does not repent for telling lies. In other words, the verse is actually saying, God is not a sinful man. God is not a sinful man. It doesn't say that God is not a man and it doesn't say that God does not repent because Genesis 6, 6 showed us that God did repent. It tells us that God was not a sinful man. Tom, that was wonderful teaching today as we ended the program. You brought up repentance. Can you explain to us today or teach us about what is the same between God's and man's repentance? You know, it's so often that when we hear the term repentance, we think it's a bad thing. It's, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's not true. In fact, when it talks about, as we saw today, that it repented God, that he made man, this was something in God's mind. God was repenting, it says there. So really, what's the same between God's repentance and man's repentance is the, is the core, the kernel there, which is to see how something has happened. For example, man corrupted himself. And and as it says there, his imagination was only evil continually. That was man's choice. That was not God's choice. That was not the sovereignty of God controlling man's direction. Man made his own free will decision to sin, and he had decided to fill his heart, his mind, his imagination with only evil continually. 
And so God saw that. And when he saw that, he said, that's such a bad thing that's happening. We need an improvement here. So he says, you know what? I'm sorry that I made man. That's what it says. And so in other words, it's a, it's, it's a good thing because God repented at that time because he saw how man had turned the earth and the world in such a, to, into such a bad place that God just went back and said, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it. That's really the core of it all. Man, the same thing. At the core of repentance of man is to say, I'm so sorry that I thought that. I'm so sorry that I said that. I'm so sorry that I did that. And if I had to do it again, I would not have thought it. I would not have said it. I would not have done it. I feel so terrible about it. And so it's in that sense, it's the same between God's repentance and man's repentance. So God and man do have some similarities there with repentance and changing minds, essentially. God can change his mind, and so can man. But what is the difference between God's and man's repentance? Yeah, now this is the key here, because man repents for sin, but God does not repent for sin, because the verse that we looked at today in Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. In other words, we saw in Genesis that God repented. It said he repented God that he made man. But this verse, when it says that God should not repent, he's talking about in the context of being a liar, in the context of being a sinful man. God is not a sinful man. God is not a lying man, neither the son of man, that he should repent for that because God doesn't lie. God doesn't sin. So God does not repent for sin. But on the other hand, man Man sins enough, plenty. And so therefore, man repents for sin, and God does not repent for sin. How do we know that? Because it says in Luke 13, 5, where the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about the absolute necessity. There's no other option. He said, this must be. And he said in Luke 13, 5, I tell you, nay, But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In other words, he says, without repentance, it means to perish. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So it's absolutely necessary for man to repent. Why? Because he's a sinner. Because he's sinful. And so man needs to repent for his sin. But by contrast, God does not repent for his sin because God doesn't sin. Praise the Lord that we can repent and be converted that our sins can be blotted out. But what are some of the examples of what man needs to repent of in the Bible, and can you give us some examples of that? Yes, and this is very, very important. Of course, because man has so many sins, it takes a long time to go through all of the all of the sins that man needs to repent of. But there is a core sin. There is one sin that really is at the heart of many, many sins. And from this core, from this pot, comes out many, many sins. And that is simply stated, the sin of unbelief. In Romans 11:20, it talks about the reason, the core reason, why were the Jewish people cut off, to say temporarily, from the vine? Why were they cut off? 
And, and of course, we know that that whole chapter starts off by saying God has not cast them off. In other words, cast them away. Cut off temporarily is not the same as cast off. And he said, God forbid, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. But they have been cut off temporarily, and it's a terrible tragedy. It's a horrible thing. And so God wants us to understand why they were cut off. Paul wants us intensely, Paul wants us to understand why the Jewish people were cut off. And so he says in Romans eleven twenty, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. See, it's unbelief. It's a sin of unbelief. And if you think about it, if you put God out of your mind and you say, I won't believe in God, if you say God doesn't care what I do, so it doesn't matter whatever I do, I'm not going to be judged for it. If you say that, you know, when you're dead, you're dead and God will never get his hands on me. He will never, I will never have to stand before him and give an account. I will never go through judgment. All of that is unbelief, 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 unbelief. And that says, That's the stage for sin because you say, well, since I won't be judged so I can get away with it, if I get away with it, I've gotten away with it. See, all of that is going forward with the cloak or the covering of unbelief. That's why unbelief is such a terrible sin, the sin of unbelief. Another thing that God calls us to repent of is wrong thoughts. You know, you might say, and we might say, well, I thought it myself. I mean, you know, no one saw it. and I didn't see anything. Nothing came of it. So what? It's a wrong thought. So what? Well, Proverbs 24, 9 says, the thought of foolishness is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. So in other words, God says, if you're a man, you lust after a woman in your heart. God says, that's a thought. That's a thought of adultery. That is the thought of foolishness. And God says, it is sin. It is sin. And the thought of foolishness needs to be repented of. And praise God, he forgives us. And we all know the saying, you sow a thought and you'll reap an act. You sow an act and you'll reap a habit. You sow a habit, and you'll reap a character. You sow a character, and you'll reap a destiny. Where does it all start? With the thought. That's why God says, nip it in the bud. Cut it off. When that becomes sensitive, God wants us to be sensitive to the thought of sin, so that when we sin in our minds, that we immediately Go to the cross, get alone, turn aside, close the eyes, just say, oh God, please forgive me for that thought. Help me that I don't think that kind of thought again. Why? Because we're only one thought away from a sinful act. And God says, nip it in the bud. Call that thought sin. Thoughts need to be repented of. Second, a disobedience to God. We read in the Bible. We want to live in the light of his word. When the Bible says, don't do this, and we do it, that's sin. That's sin that needs to be repented of. What does he say in Jeremiah 3.13 to the Jewish people? Only acknowledge thine iniquity. 
In other words, when you acknowledge your iniquity, that's repentance. It doesn't just mean to say, oh, yeah, check it off, check it off, check it off. That's not what he means. He means, I feel really bad about that. I confess it to you, and I look with all my strength. I'm going to not do that again. Acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed. My voice saith the Lord. See, disobeying God needs to repent, be repented of. And then just generally wrongly treating man, wrongly treating man. You know the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery in Exodus 20, 13 and through 17. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's house, not cover his neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. See, all of that is man wrongly treating man, which needs to be repented of. That's what's a good thing about repentance is to to, to, because it turns us back to God. Repentance is an improvement. When the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking in Luke 15, 7, he said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So in other words, God says, repent. It's a good thing. It's the path back to God. Thank you for joining us today. Now, it's great to be on the path back to God, but some people still need to be led down to the path of God. And you can help to do that if you've got a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries would like to put a free gospel gift of Tom Cantor's life story in booklet and in DVD form into your hands to give to a lost Jewish person, or you can contact us directly by phone and we can help a gift to be sent directly to them. Call us today at one 800 247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Help reach God's lost nation of Jewish people by giving them a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries. Today's message and previous messages are available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, call us 1-800-247-3051.